welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, which is part of the Demcast Network. I'm Kimberly Johnson in D.C., and it's a bonus show. Uh, David Wiseman is back. You may remember him. He's a former Trump supporter, and Steph and I interviewed him a while ago. Uh, he's here again. He's a Warren supporter. Can you imagine? Talk about a 180, and oh, he just deals with trolls in a way that none of us have to deal with because, you know, can you imagine being a MAGA and then, like, supporting Warren? He gets such horrible, horrible, horrible trolls. So we're going to be talking about that. Uh, we'll also be talking about his newfound liberalism, why he supports Warren, and we'll probably be talking about what an asshole Donald Trump is because Donald Trump is an asshole. Um, now, a little bit more serious tone. I want to say rest in peace, rest in power, Congressman Elijah Cummings. It's a sad day. Um, he's going to be missed. I woke up to that news and you know, I, I wake up and I look at my phone and there it was. And I was like, oh, it was just crushing. He was only 68, which is, in my opinion, quite young. So we're very sad to see him go. Unfortunately, unfortunately, many on the right are reveling in this, but Hillary called it. They're deplorables. And so unfortunately, we just have to deal with that. So rest in peace, Congressman. Um, before we get started, and I'm going to be brief, as you know, Start Me Up is a podcast supported by listeners. I don't have corporate funding and I don't do advertisements. So that means the show depends on your support. Consider becoming a patron for just $1 a month. You get each show delivered to your mailbox. Then you can decide if you want to upgrade later. If you sign up for $5 a month, you get access to And Another Thing, which is a segment just for patrons. We record that at least two times per month. I will be doing one this coming Wednesday with Stephanie Walton, and I'll be doing one with Sarah Wood the following week. Anyway, take a listen to some of the shows on the front page at patreon.com slash start me up. You can see some of my former guests, listen to the shows, and then you can sign up. Also, um, would you please become a subscriber on iTunes and maybe give us a good review? I need that. Uh, let's see. And you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher, whatever podcasts can be found. So that would just be wonderful if you could, if you could become a subscriber. Um, thank you to everybody who supports the show. And now my conversation with David Weissman. Welcome back to the show, David. Hi, thank you for having me on. Well, I like talking to you. You're an interesting person. Um, the last time that you were here, we discussed the fact that you uh, are no longer a Trump supporter. And it's been a while since we chatted. So um, I'd like to hear some, like, you know, the follow up to finding out. Um, actually, I remember you had said when we first talked that you uh, had tweeted to Sarah Silverman um, or something like that. And, and a conversation between the two of you led to you reading up and, and discovering other kinds of sites and things like that. And so um, that's kind of what you know, what made you change your mind. But then more recently, you posted something on Twitter that um, like the, the thing that really made you change your mind was Trump's behavior in Helsinki. So can you just clarify what it was that got you to open your eyes? Well, like I said, I began in dialogue with Sarah. Um, I was just learning about what liberals believed. Because, uh, you know, I've always taken advice from you know, Trump pundits, conservative media, you know, stuff that I've been watching for a long, and listening to a long time. And, you know, in that transition, you know, I received a lot of backlash just for dialogue. Because, you know, I had no, I had no intention of leaving 
uh, MAGA or in the Republican Party, none whatsoever. Yeah. And during that, you know, when they had a constant backlash, it's sort of like snapping out of a trance um, of Trump can do no wrong. Because when you, when, you, when you sign up for MAGA, you really get in there. You really, you know, it's basically you fight for this agenda that, you know, nothing else matters kind of thing. And you really get sucked into it. It's easy, easily to get sucked into it. Mm-hmm. So when I, when I was snapped out of it, and I was surprised at some of the comments, because, you know, these are people that I've known for, you know, quite some time, you know, you know, prior, you know, prior to presidency. I mean, I was a conservative activist, you know, a couple of years before that, you know, conservative writer before that. So, you know, and I was really surprised just for dialoguing. And I didn't see how Trump, um, responded in such a manner and how they thrive it off each other. And I was thinking, okay, this is not a good guy. So I did more research on him, learned that he was a draft dodger, you know, a lot of the uh, businesses that was corrupt. And he wasn't, he wasn't the successful business guy like Fox News made him out to me. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, more and more, it's like, this is not the guy who I thought oh, I voted for. And I, I decided, no, okay, I'm, you know, I'm I, leaving the Republican Party and becoming a Democrat were two different things, two different journeys that happened around the same time. But the confirmation that I know I made the right decision to stop supporting it was this Helsinki meeting. Mm-hmm. meeting. I mean, what kind of president would set up um, a private meeting with our adversary by himself, being recorded by the Russians? I mean, I mean, I mean you still know, you know what's said between them, and you see all what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what's going on in Syria, and I mean, so many questions that are unanswered, and you know, it's crazy. So that that was like, I decided to stop supporting prior to that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I mean, it was still kind of hard because I, I internally, I kind of go back and forth if I made the right decision. You know, a lot of that internal stuff because you know you can't really express yourself well on Twitter sometimes. I can kind of, you know, when you're actually talking. And when I when I saw that what happened at that meeting with him and Putin. That confirmed to me that I made the right decision, and I haven't looked back since. So let me ask you this: What? Um, how is it that you didn't just become a never Trumper? Like, how is it that you didn't stay conservative? You know, there's people like Tom Nichols and Rick Wilson, and they're still conservatives. They may not be Republicans. I know. I, I know that. Um, Tom Nichols left the Republican Party and he's an independent. I believe Rick Wilson is still a Republican, but they're both never Trumpers. They still hold those conservative, what, you know, if you want to call them ideals, I don't necessarily, but whatever. Um, <laughs> what What is the difference between you and them? Why did you go over to the liberal side as opposed to staying conservative who was just a never Trumper? Oh, basically, like you said, like, are they really values? And, you know, during my transition, you know, my, my journey... A lot of what conservatives believe in are lies about what the Democratic Democratic Party fights mm, for. Yeah, I mean, nobody wants open borders. You know, that's a lie from Republican <laughs> pundits. People want it done in a very humane way. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, nobody wants to take all your guns. Uh, and if you actually read the Constitution, yes, it does say right to bear arms. But read the fine print. You know, it talks about having a well-regulated militia. Mm-hmm. I mean. And well regulation is like the uh, National Guard. And not everybody can join the National Guard, so not everybody is qualified to own a weapon. And why do we need weapons in combat? I mean, if you actually do research on the AR-15, and everybody knows the AR-15 does not stand for assault rifle. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows it's 
you know, um, arm light or whatever it's called, but the history says it was a weapon meant for combat. Mm -hmm. So the transition to the Democratic Party was eyes open of reality compared to propaganda. And I see how Democrats fight for people's rights and don't have rights. Conservatives are used to their own families, their own, you know, know, thinking about what affects them necessarily of other people. And when you think about it, you know, I'm such a white man, then they have rights. Yeah. You know, they they have always been able to vote and they have the right to their reproductive organs. Um, you know, they, they can carry weapons. A black person can't carry a weapon. I mean, you've seen that you know, time and time again. If a black person would use self-defense, they would get in jail. I mean, black people can't even call the police. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, you see these kind of things, what Democrats are fighting for. And I guess my transition kind of hit home to me. I mean, because I've always been like, oh, black lives matter. No, that's a lot of BS. You know, all lives matter. And then when you, when I learned that, you know, a black person growing up is not the same life as a white person. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so the more I learned, I, I began to empathize other people with LBGTQ, you know, uh, women's rights. And, you know, you know, more and more and more, it's it kind of hit home to me. And I didn't realize why Democrats are passionate, why they fight for other rights. And and the big difference is Democrats are not trying to take rights away from conservative white men. <laughs> They're trying to find you know fight rights those who don't have any rights. Yeah, I, I mean yeah, gay people can marry, but they still get They still get um, bigotry towards them. Mm-hmm. They still I mean trans women was killed many you know a lot, and you don't hear that on the media so mm-hmm. much. So, I mean, there's so much stuff that's going on. You know, a Muslim can't, you know, carry a weapon. You know, they'll consider that person a terrorist. Yeah. And people, people, you know, when you say white privilege, they think, oh, I've struggled mm-hmm. as a white person. And, you know, it's not about, like, you know, working hard. It's about being judged for who you are. Mm-hmm. I mean, a white person going into a place is not going to be judged the same way as a black person. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it goes down to the little things, too. I mean, I've talked about on this show before. um, I believe they do have band-aids now for African-American people. But you walk into a grocery store and if you look at things like band-aids and then it's called flesh color, it's flesh color that matches Caucasian skin. Um, So, you know, and like makeup, if you walk into any kind of a grocery store and you're just looking at the makeup aisle and you're looking at, um, you know, foundation and powder it's never for black women. It's always for various shades of white women. And so um, that in itself is white privilege because as a black woman walking in, you know, I mean, as a, I'm sorry, as a white woman walking into a grocery store, I, if I want to, can go buy some foundation and some powder. But a black woman, and it's interesting because where I live, there's a lot of African-American women and, you know, they don't have the option. They have to go somewhere else in order to buy their makeup when I can just go into the giant and, and purchase it if I wanted to. So it, it's like big things and little things. Um, right. And that's something you never hear about in conservative media. Mm-hmm. The conservative media always talks about, oh, protecting American way of life. American way of life is not just one way of life. Yeah. And that's, you know, the difference between the real, you know, the real world and, you know, you know, their reality. Yeah, exactly. You know, I want to ask you this. Um, recently I interviewed uh, the, ca- the, the, presidential candidate Joe Walsh. So he's a Republican running against Donald Trump. And 
I don't endorse him. I don't agree with him at all politically, but I absolutely support his effort to challenge Trump because basically and historically, um, a lot of the times when an incumbent is challenged by his own party, it hurts that incumbent in the general election. And oftentimes it actually means that they're going to lose because um, the support is, is, you know, being chipped away. And so I'm just wondering, you know, are you are you aware of what he's saying and, and what do you think of him? Well, I'm, I'm definitely aware um, of what he's saying, and he had a he has a similar journey as I did. I mean, he realized he realized some of the stuff that he said was wrong about you know Obama being a Muslim, yeah, or her and stuff. And you know, and you know, I apologize for believing in that stuff too. I mean, I I used to believe in that stuff. Um, you know, even made a I I actually I don't know if you saw that tweet, but I actually did a whole thread where I showed an old Facebook post. You know, saying, "Oh, I had a chat with her and just saying Obama was you no know, that he said Obama was Muslim, just to call Obama Muslim." Mm-hmm. And you know, I you know I was sorry for that, and you know, so I I can relate to Joe and what, how he's feeling, some of his mistakes that he's made, and so I think he's trying to repair that. Um, but um, and yeah, I mean, there's never been a, a president like Trump, no matter <laughs> what anybody can say. And no, there hasn't. He, he, there hasn't, and. And so, yeah, I mean, I definitely support anyone. If anyone can take him down in a general election, that would be great. <laughs> but, I mean, gotta keep in mind, though, the difference between Trump and regular GOP is he, Trump is just blunt about their, their racism, blunt about mm-hmm. their sexism. Because a lot of the policies that Trump um, been trying to get is not really much different than you know, GOP's policies yeah i mean the gop always wanted a wall um you know and as you'll see gop trying to control women's right to choose i mean mm-hmm. that's that's always been a you know republican mm-hmm. uh mandate for so long so that's i mean great i mean trump had a lot of but people office but people just need to keep in mind that it's sort, you know, it's sort of like uh you have a blunt outspoken racist there's a, a classic racist if you want to call it that yeah so, you know, and I'm not saying that Walsh was racist, just that, you know, the mentality of the GLP and Republican Party is, has always been there for Right. Well, yeah, the, there are people that will just openly say the N-word and they're not hiding it. And then there are other people who hide behind the, um, like, the talking points that you should, um, like, have the voter ID stuff and... Um, you know, just the the way the, the GOP is very good at cloaking their racism. So exactly. it seems palatable to people who aren't really paying attention. And, and, you know, obviously people in this country are still racist. They're still biases. And I was fortunate enough to be raised by a mother who absolutely would not put up with any kind of racism. And I was also fortunate that and I, I've said this, I spoke to anti-racism expert Tim Wise, and I was telling him that in the eighth and ninth grades, I attended uh, a school in Silver Lake, California, where whites were the minority. So the majority of students were Hispanic and Asian. And then um, I can't tell you exactly what the percentage was of, of black students and white students, but we were definitely in the minority. But um, as a white person in that school, I was never, ever, ever discriminated against because of my skin color. So if, you know, if you've got the reverse happening and you've got a primarily white school and you've got uh, black children in that school, I'm going to assume that some of them have been discriminated against solely 
based on their skin color. And it's, you know, I had that privilege um, to go to a school where, you know, there were many different nationalities and the white people were in the minority and still we were not discriminated against. We didn't get bullied and it, it, it was not my experience. Um, well, that speaks volume, and that should be like, you know, out there more. Like, hey, because people would say, "Oh, if a white person would go to Chicago, it would be, you know, yeah." But you live it; you live that experience yourself, and you can say, "Hey, I was never bullied for my color skin." Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's a privilege. I've had many experiences of white privilege and, um, but I, you know, but I've always, I've always understood the idea that we're just nobody. It's like, it's so stupid to say like my, I have green eyes, therefore I'm superior to you. It's just the stupidest thing. And I'm grateful that both of my parents, um, you know, raised me in a way to recognize that. And I'm also grateful that I grew up Primary, I mean, I grew up in Maryland until I was nine years old and not, you know, Maryland is fairly diverse. There's a, there's a large black population. So it's not something that I was, you know, I wasn't always just going to white schools. I went to schools that were, you know, a good mix of, of different kinds of students. I think it's a little different in Maryland when I was growing up because it's a lot more diverse now in that I see, especially where I live, I see Muslim people and, and, you know, Latino people and I see black people and, and just all different people from everywhere. And I, I, when I think back to when I was like nine and and earlier than nine, I don't remember such diversity. It might've been there. I just don't even remember it. But then moving to Southern California, um, obviously there's a huge Hispanic population and, and there's also a huge Asian population. And so I, I grew up, you know, in diversity. I also was an actress and, actors in general, creative people are usually um, open to whether you're gay or whatever skin color you are, or whatever, you know, wherever you're from, just because creative people have a tendency to have more open minds. So and I, I, I've said this before, I'm not patting myself on the back. I just count myself fortunate because um, I feel like I've had an opportunity to kind of understand the you know I've seen the racism and I feel like how can people be that way how how is it that you can hate another human being based on what their skin color is it's just insane to me and it's just you know I mean I I, I was wondering that about you now before you became a liberal uh, did you feel I mean you know did you feel that people with a different skin color were lesser than no, um, I didn't feel that. I mean, there are times where I thought Muslims were, like, the ideology itself was right. a terroristic ideology. Um, but no, I I always felt like, oh, oh, they're playing the race card. Or, oh, no. The stuff that you hear people say, I mean, I, I never, I never, at least I don't think, maybe it's unconsciously, maybe, I don't know. But like, you know, when, when you hear people say, oh, they're, you know, they, they were being prejudiced against because they're black or something like that. I used to think, oh, they're playing a the race card again. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, I would say the conservative talking points. Oh, if black lives matter so much, why don't they clear up, you know, you know, go to towns where, you know, there's black and black crimes. You know, that's typical, you know, stuff that you see from Charlie Kirk. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that kind of stuff. So. I, I never, I definitely never saw myself superior like that. But I never understood, you know, I, uh, what what it was like to be a black person or 
to be a Muslim or Hispanic. And I, I always said to, you know, they need to come here illegally. They need to come here illegally. You know, and that, and I didn't realize there are laws like uh, seeking asylum. Right. Um, and, and I, I, you know, didn't know that existed. So it was kind of surprising to hear about stuff like that. Yeah. Interesting. That's an interesting, I mean, it's an interesting take because basically uh, you're saying that your feelings were based on, you know, what you thought was their ideology or what you thought wasn't fair as opposed to what they looked like. And, you know, that actually gives me hope because maybe there's a lot of Republicans out there like you um, who feel that way. I mean, I'm not saying that it's a good thing to feel that way, but if but if they do feel that way, that it's not based on skin color alone. I mean, and I don't know what that number would be, but it, it seems to me that maybe it at some point they might be um, like jerked out of that thought in the same way that you were. Um, that you were able to look at it and say, oh, wait a minute, I didn't realize. And, you know, it's, it's just something that, um, I don't know, our country... We've always dealt with racism. I don't know that it's ever going to go away. I would certainly hope so. I mean, we're always dealing with sexism, and I don't know that if that's ever going to go away, um, because it seems to be human nature to want to feel superior to another person. And you know, it'd be great if we could figure out a way out of that. I don't know if we will, but you know, I want to switch the subject and I want to ask you about Warren because I'm totally fascinated by the fact that you were a Trump supporter who now supports Warren. I mean, why why is it Warren like as opposed to Joe Biden, who a lot of people, especially a lot of the never Trumpers and even centrist Democrats feel more comfortable with him? Why Warren? Well, uh, there are different reasons. And, uh, and I get that a lot. People say, oh, how can you be a Trump supporter and go take Warren of all people? Why not Yang or I guess and Biden? And I think a lot of it, um, Warren, I mean, I, I, I took my time uh, learning up on candidates. Um, I learned that Warren actually had a similar experience as I did. She was originally mm-hmm. a conservative Republican and went to a progressive Democrat. So, you know, that sort of, you know, like, hey, I can relate to that. You know, yeah. she's relatable. She is likable as well. I mean, she is very down to earth. And you can tell them she cares about people, no matter what color of skin or, you know, anything. She cares about all people. Um, she um, was good at bipartisan work. And after a Trump presidency, we definitely need somebody who can heal our country that knows how to work together. Because no, I mean, we are, we are, we are all in this together, no matter what. Yeah. You know, background you are. And I feel that she is the strongest leader of them all. Hmm. Um, Biden, I mean, I like Biden. He's a nice guy. I, I think his gas do concern me. Um, I mean, applying for the president of the United States. I mean, you got you got to be together. You know, you can't make some of these mistakes that he's making. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. Some people might say they're small, but still, I mean, you're running for the president of the United States. Um, I think he's like too nice of a guy to. Uh, deal with Trump. Um, hmm. I don't know if he made on the handle his on. I mean, the onslaughts. I mean, Trump and his campaign and supporters will fight dirty, and yeah. I don't think he can <laughs> handle that. Honestly, I mean, he's that he's that much of a nice guy, um, uh, Trump Biden. Um, but and but I don't know. I just I think Warren is just the strongest leader of all the candidates, and. I mean, I don't agree with everything that she does. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people say, oh, I went so far left. And no, that's not true. 
I would say I'm in between centrist and progressive. Uh-huh. Um, where I stand on issues. I mean, I don't agree with her Medicare for all policy. I think I think people should have the right to choose uh-huh. to keep the plan, keep the provider. If they don't want to be covered, they should have that right. So, I mean, there are things, fundamentals, that I don't agree with what she has. Uh-huh. But I think she is the strongest candidate on the wall, and I think she'll do great for our country as a leader. You know, it's interesting that you bring up that, that you said you're kind of in the in between a, 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 a what did you say like a, a not a far left, but like a progressive and centrist, right? And I think actually, you know, I mean, a lot of the times we hear people say, "Well, you have to cater to the centrists." I think you have to cater to what you just said in between, especially in a primary, especially the Democratic candidates for president. Um, I think maybe in a general, I can understand the centrist argument, but, but when you're appealing to your own base, I think you have, because there's a lot of progressives and then there's a lot of people who identify as centrists, which I just think mean, means that they're cautious. And I think that means that they're afraid to go too far. And when I see Warren and I, and, and, and frankly, my, I didn't like the fact that she absolutely would not talk about, um, the, Obviously, our taxes are going to be raised, and if if we get Medicare for all, but I but I think that the idea of this, um, I, I think she's afraid of saying it because she doesn't want the sound bite. She doesn't want GOP after her. But the way I look at it is, they're going to be after her anyway. Um, but regardless, I think if she is the nominee, she might have to pivot a little bit more toward the middle. And the oh, and I've said this for a long time. I think what this is all about is this is her negotiation. So it's like she's going to go in there and say, I want $5,000. And then then she, they hit her back with, well, we're only going to give you $2,000. And she's like, okay, I'll settle for 3500 And that's the public option. And I think that she's never... Nobody is ever going to pass Medicare for all, even if we have the brightest, bluest um, Congress. It's just not going to happen. And right. and I wish voters would understand that instead of getting afraid of what she's saying, because Elizabeth Warren is not going to wave a magic wand and poof, we have Medicare for all. It's going to be a process. It would have to be a complete overhaul of the system, and nobody is going to do it. Nobody. So it will be, no matter who the Democratic president is, we're going to get a public option. It's just that's the way it's going to go. And and then, in my opinion, what's going to happen is over the course of X amount of years, everybody's going to slide over to the public option. It won't be this frightening, I'm going to take away your insurance or a mandate. It's people, people, as you said, will choose it. And then it'll just become a natural thing. And there will be glitches and there will be issues because there always are. This is a huge country. We're not going to get everything perfect. Obamacare right, I mean, wasn't perfect. I mean, it's, it's a man-made thing created, creation, of course, it's going to have flaws. I mean, the thing is, at least, you know, Democrats are doing something. I mean, Republicans had eight years to come up with something um, to, when they wanted to repeal Obamacare, and they didn't. I yeah. mean, they had all that time. So this, at least Democrats were trying to, yeah. you know, do something for people. And I, I truly think... The best way to beat Trump in a general election, whoever the um, candidate is, and they're a centrist or a progressive, they need to have the opposite as a VP running mate. So this way they can unite the whole party. Yeah. That is the only way to beat Trump. Who do, who do you think party. she should choose for a VP if she's the nominee? Um, uh, I, I'm going to say his name wrong. 
Mayor Pete. Pete Buttigieg. Buttigieg. Yes, I mean, he, he's running sort of a centrist conservative. Maybe even Joe Biden, too. Um, somebody, some, somebody that is centrist, and this way they can have a united party because, um, I, I mean, I keep telling people that, you know, they, they see our divide and they're going to use that. Mm-hmm. They're going to use it against us um, hard. Yeah. That's well, I mean, there's player. also there's also the possibility that it won't be another uh, presidential candidate. Um, I don't think Joe Biden would ever accept another VP thing. I think that he would find that insulting. But um, I, you know, I, I totally take your point. And I think that whether it's because, you know what I would like to see with Buttigieg is uh, I, I think that he's an interesting character. I think he's just young and that's not a dig. It's just, you know, I mean, I'm 51 years old. He's 30-something, 38, I'm not sure. Oh, wow. Younger than me. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so I feel like, you know, he's got amazing ideas. And when he speaks, he sounds, obviously, he, for the most part, he sounds reasonable. And he has interesting ideas and he has good ideas. But would he be able to execute those ideas successfully is my question. And and his age, um, I think, might interfere with a successful execution and what I would love to see from him is whether it would be a cabinet position or like running for governor or running for senator and getting some re I mean he's got government experience but I'd like to see him building up more relationships and and getting a really solid understanding of 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 government and what he's doing in a way that he doesn't already have and then I think he could you know possibly be a president one day um you know but I'm not against somebody like him um, being a vice president, but I do also think that it would probably be good to pick somebody who's uh, either has, you know, like a like somebody like Julian Castro, who's Hispanic or an African American, because it's just more diversity. It doesn't, and there are plenty of African Americans out there who are. I don't want to say per se centrist, but kind of come from that. You know, like I look at Julian Castro, and he's very much like Obama. And so I think that he could appeal to some of those centrist voters. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. And I, I didn't think about that. So that's, that's even a better idea. I think in this way, um, people of color can feel that they have somebody that can speak for them. Yeah. So definitely, I, I support that. Yeah, I think, I think, I mean, this is going to be a, an interesting election. It's going to be frightening. And I mean, my, my whole thing is the wild card is Russia. How far have they been able to infiltrate our, um, you know, our, uh, elections and obviously it's, it's difficult, but it's possible. They were able to get into all 50 States last time. Um, people have argued that they didn't change votes, but honestly, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if they did change votes, if that would be reported, because if they did, I think it would make the public feel that they can't trust our elections and then that would lead them to not vote. And right now there's nothing being done um, to secure our elections. And, you know, down the line, if Democrats get in, they're able to secure our elections. We may eventually find out, yes, the Russians did change votes, but don't worry because we've secured our elections. As long as we don't have secure elections, um, I think that we're never going to know for sure exactly what happened. But I think that they're the wild card. How, you know, Trump has let, and it's not just them, but it's probably them because Trump is clearly the most frightened of Putin. And it makes me wonder why Mitch McConnell is not 
um, passing bills that would actually protect mm-hmm. from Russian interference too. I mean, that's mind-boggling. Mind-boggling that the NRA has Russian influence in donations. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's some of this stuff that's adding up here, and it's, you know, it's it's crazy. It really is. <laughs> yeah, it's it's frightening. Um. I never thought this was going to happen. I mean, I never in a million years would have assumed it. And as you know, I've said 400,000 times on my show, I used to live in Russia. So while I'm not an expert on, you know, I lived in Russia in 1980, 81, when it was Soviet communism. And so I had the opportunity to see it up close. And I'm not an expert or anything like that. But I, I am an expert in living in at least for about nine months, I got to live in what I considered, you know, like a, a prison. It was like living in a prison and because I was a foreigner, I had privileges and I was able to, you know, shop in, in a, in a, in a grocery store that was for foreigners only. And it had better selections than what you could find in a regular Russian store. Um, but I, you know, I understand what it's like to live in a police state and it's, it's frightening and it's, I don't think we're going to go to a police state, but I, I do believe that the goal of, of, Putin is to destroy our democracy so that he can pick it apart and, you know, hurt our economy and then raise his own economy. And that's what's really scary, because I think he would like to go back to Soviet rule. I don't know if he could ever achieve it, but I I do think that that he would like to do that. It seems possible. I mean, he's doing a very good job of destroying our democracy as we see it, you know, happening unfold in real time. And... it's, know, it's I mean, frightening. I know Trump. You know Trump has joked about you know uh, four more years after this term, not the next term. I mean, yeah. And he's not joking. <laughs> he's he's not <laughs> joking. Right. He th- he thinks he can get yeah. it. Yeah, that's true. He's not joking. You know, you know, think that that would upset conservatives because I remember, you know, when I was a conservative, you hear conservatives, oh, they're constitutional experts, blah blah blah, mm-hmm. and yet they're they're laughing about this, not saying, hey, this is not okay. Because... Yeah, it's just, it's astounding to me, the hypocrisy. I mean, obviously, how many times has all, you know, there everybody on Twitter, at least, have said, you know, what if it was Hillary? What if it was Obama? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've heard, who was it? Somebody was being interviewed. I think it was Rand Paul. And it might have been Steve Kornacki was interviewing him and, and said, you know, what if it was Barack Obama? Or what if it's the future Democratic president? Do you think it's okay to um, withhold military aid for dirt on a political opponent? And all he could come up with was, well, that's not really what was happening. <laughs> it's like, mm. yes, it was. We saw the freaking transcript. Yes. It's, yeah. And, he's, and, and Trump can say it on TV. And still, it's like. Yeah, they'll uh, just I mean, deny it. And it's so crazy how Trump is literally getting away with all this crime right from his inner soul conviction. And the only time they ever condemned him for anything is when it affected our allies. So it makes me yeah. wonder why are they caring about our allies more than, you know, people here. I mean, I don't know. Well, I saw somebody on MSNBC make a point. And I'm not saying I agree or disagree. I'm just going to repeat it. But basically the idea is if they can condemn him for, um, you know, uh, what he just did with the Kurds, they can they can point to that and say, "See, look, we do condemn him for some things, and we just don't see this phone call 
to the president of Ukraine as any kind of big deal. And even though it's, even though it's a law, an actual law. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, I think that they can, I think they're able to use that to their advantage or, or will use that to their advantage when it comes down yeah. to impeachment um, proceedings. And they could say, hey, we do contemn him. We just, we just don't believe this is a reason he should be impeached. I mean, we'll see what fun. happens. And it's funny because I've actually took the time to actually read the law itself. And it is clear that it says not to take contribution from a foreign yeah. leader. And it's clear in black and white. And I, you can even look up the word of contribution and what it means. Not necessarily monetary value. I mean, anything, you know, any information or that will help, you know, against a political party. I mean, it is law. It's black and white. Yeah. And he, and he goes, hey, I want China to do the same thing. I'm like, and, and, and the way they go about it, it's like, I mean, what the heck? You know, that GOP <laughs> leader guy. I mean, uh, yeah, gosh. it's pretty. You know, I want to kind of also change the subject here just out of curiosity. Um, to the subject of abortion. Uh, back when you were a Trump supporter and, mm-hmm. and, and a GOP prior to that, um, were you against abortion? Yes. And personally, I, you know, I still am, but I, I understand it's not my place to say what a woman does with her body. Right. I've learned that and I've learned, I mean, if they're to force a woman to give birth, I mean, the baby would just be dumped in a in a system unloved, unwanted, uncared for, and that's kind of ways for a child to grow up. Mm-hmm. Also, I mean, if they ban abortion, that would make it unsafe for women who try to get abortions. You no, know, on you know, um, you know, I'm not sure what's called like on a, off the record or off the. Oh right, you know, like they call them like back alley abortions. Yeah, there you go. That's what I was trying to think. Um, but. See, and this is why I say I'm sort of in between progressive and centrist because I mean, I, I still am against abortion. I mean, I, I don't like it, but I've learned that nobody really likes it. Yeah. And I mean, you know, people are going to go and get, you know, have sex and, get, and then get abortion for the fun of it, like conservative pundits make it out to me. Right. I mean, I'm sure it's something that's very, very thought about, you know, and look at all different points of, you know, the outcome and you know it's a hard decision that a woman has to make and who am i a guy to say what some woman does with her body i mean it's just not right well and basically i mean most of the time um when women have abortions, the fetus is, I mean, if you're, and if you're going to listen to doctors, if you're going to listen to scientists, um, there is no, I mean, there's this whole, uh, fetal pain thing happening. Doctors and scientists say that, you know, that that's not a legitimate thing. There is no central nervous system yet. So there is no pain. It is not a human being. It is the start of a human being, obviously, but it is, it is a fetus. It is an embryo. And, um, you know, the idea of it, I'm, I'm a woman who has, I've never had an abortion, but there have been times in my life where I wondered if I was pregnant and I knew that if I was pregnant, I would have had an abortion for, for various reasons. Um, you know, up until I was 47 years old, I was never in a solid, stable relationship. So that's one of them. I was, you know, I would have become pregnant with someone that I might have been dating, but not somebody that I was completely serious about. Um, you know, there was this gentleman that I knew back in Santa Rosa and he was a conservative and he liked to, he liked to sit in front of this bookstore and invite 
liberals and and conservatives and then like watch them go at it. So he invited me and I, I played along. And there was this time that I sat with him where we were alone. And, you know, he used to criticize people on my Facebook page and he would call us inhumane because we were pro-choice. And so I described to him and I won't go through the entire list of what I described, but I described a scenario where, you know, it's a single woman and maybe she is, or, or you could even have like a woman who's in an abusive relationship just about to leave. And then she finds herself pregnant. But regardless, um, single woman, uh, lives paycheck to paycheck, doesn't have any family around her, doesn't want to be in a relationship with this person, or maybe, you know, uh, has sex, with someone that she doesn't know very well, winds up pregnant, she can't afford it. And, you know, and then I presented the idea. It's like, well, people can argue, well, you can, um, you can just give it up for adoption. But then what that does is the, the woman has to go through the pregnancy, which is always risky. And she goes to work and people see her stomach grow and they start asking her questions. Mm. Oh, you're going to have a baby. Well, if she's oh, going to wow. give it up for adoption, then, okay, she's going to have to explain to people her personal life that's none of their business because she can't hide it. And then I had a friend who, when she was pregnant, oh, the I... last, yeah, the last two months of her pregnancy, she was bedridden. So if you're a single person and you even choose to go the route of putting your child up for adoption or finding a couple that wants it. I mean, if, if they're going to pay for you to miss two months of work and not every woman does, but there are women who have to miss work because my girlfriend's issue was her back and the pregnancy was putting all this pressure on her back and she couldn't walk. So, you know, what do you do? What do you do if you're alone? And it's like when you said force, it's like forced birth. And so, you know, did I ever want to have an abortion? I didn't want that. I wanted the choice of it. And I always kind of talk about it like it's a colonoscopy or some some other kind of like terrible dental procedure that, oh my God, you're so grateful that it's there, but nobody really wants to go through it. You know, right. but, and I always try to tell men, and, and I don't want to convince you either way. I just, I'm just putting this out there because I've thought no, about I this. Mean, this is a, this is a new point that you brought up in that. I mean, I, I, I didn't even think of that. Like, you're right. I mean, if someone's unmarried and they're pregnant and then, you know, they're at a workplace and mm-hmm. then whether they have more the baby or given up for adoption or, I mean, they're going to be talked about, ridiculed yeah. maybe. And, and I mean, I, I, I mean, this is, I didn't, I never thought about that, what that would be like. I'm like, that's why I'm kind of like, you know, wow, right now. <laughs> well, and, obviously, and, as a woman, I have thought about these things. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. I mean, yeah, not, I mean, I wouldn't think that. I mean, it's. Well, yeah. And I mean, if you just put yourself in a position as a man, like if you were capable of becoming pregnant, think about all these scenarios. Um, What if this happened? I mean, there's definitely the scenario where, you know, you could be in an abusive relationship and your goal is to leave and maybe you're, you know, you you don't know really where you're going to go, but you've saved up a little bit of money. Um, you're going to have to go find a job. Maybe you're going to go to, uh, one of these, one of these houses that, you know, hold or, or help women, you know, get out of abusive relationships and then all, and then he forces himself on you, which is basically marital rape. And then now what do you do? And, and if he were to find out and threaten you, 
I'm going to kill you or something like that if you don't have my child, stuff like that. I mean, there are so many scenarios out there that people don't think about. They just, they think about this beautiful baby that is, you know, uh, is not giving an op- given an opportunity to live. And that's not the case because, right. um, you know, I mean, I've had a couple, I, I've talked to this woman who I absolutely adore. Her name is Dr. Leah Torres and she is an, she's a gynecologist. She's very matter of fact. Um, she's a wonderful person to follow on Twitter if you haven't already, but she breaks it down into simple language. She's always professional and respectful. And of course she gets trolled constantly and she's called a murderer. Um, but you know, not only does she talk about, um, the fact that a fetus is not yet capable of feeling pain or anything like that, she talks about, and every gynecologist will talk about the fact that being pregnant is a risk women can die from it. I mean, obviously, it's not like women are dropping dead all over the place for becoming pregnant, but there is always a risk. And, you know, and there's also the, there's that whole narrative that late term abortions, it pissed me off so much because a while back, Chris Matthews on CNN um, said something like, oh, good, we're going to have Biden and he's going to be the person in the Democratic Party to speak out against, against late term abortions. And if you talk to any doctor, Um, it's not like a woman is pregnant for seven months and says, oh, I don't want to be pregnant anymore. I'm just going to have an abortion. That doesn't happen. The reason there's a late-term abortion is because the fetus is either going to to die or it's going to kill the mother. And And conservative pundits are like demonizing Democrats for um, uh, for, for that. And and, and, and you're right. And that's exactly how they make it. Yeah. Like, oh, it's... I mean, you can see where the anger comes from. It comes yeah. from the media, a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it does, and and unfortunately, um, the conservatives like to call it liberal media, but the liberal media is quite frightened of um, conservatives, so they kind of tend to lean on some. You know, I mean, they're they're not like anti-abortion, but this whole notion of late-term abortion being a decision by the mother because she doesn't want to be pregnant anymore is full of shit. I know Buttigieg actually had one of the best answers about late-term abortion. And and one of the points that he made was that, you know, at this point, um, the the room is being, you know, the, the decor for the room is being chosen and blankets have been purchased and diapers have been purchased and there's hope and there's excitement and, and people can't wait to have their baby. And then they find out that that baby is at risk or putting the mother at risk. And then it becomes this terrible, terrible moment and, and choice. And so, um, you know, and then the other thing that I want to point out is, and and this is what my boyfriend, Bob Seska likes to, to point out. And it's so true. Oftentimes, like, um, I know that Sarah Palin's daughter, um, chose, she says she chose to, have her child missing the fact that she's using the term chose meaning it's a choice she had that choice she wasn't forced into having that child she got to choose if she wanted to have that child so she did and so I think it really just comes down to um it's it's bodily autonomy and it is up to the patient and the doctor to decide what is the best choice for that patient 
And then outside of that, it's nobody else's business. I've heard this That's argument. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, I've heard this argument like, oh, people are having abortions for birth control. Number one, abortion is birth control. It's controlling whether or not you're having birth. And number two, it's none of your business. If somebody wants to have an abortion every time they become pregnant, that's none of your business. But that usually doesn't happen because it's expensive. And it's, it's, I, don't, I mean, for some people, it might be traumatic. It isn't for a lot of people. Some people are just relieved when it's all over. But going through the procedure is not fun. It's not a, it's not a fun day. And um, it's not like something that people, you know, there may be women who have had two, three, four abortions, but that doesn't mean that they're running to the doctor every time they get pregnant just without using birth control. Sometimes birth control fails. Sometimes, you know, there, there are so many reasons people get pregnant and it's just really no one else's business. And that's how I look right. at it. And I'm not I saying that so. you have to like abortion. I don't think no. anyone likes abortion, but it's, it's, it's just the choice. And, 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 you know, it's like, just like, you know, when you, when you talk about white privilege or, um, you know, it's just putting yourself in other people's shoes yeah. to have that pain and not. Um, you know, control our lives, basically. I mean, it almost seems like the party that says they're supposedly about liberty are actually mm-hmm. the ones that control. Hello. You know what I mean? <laughs> I totally know what you mean. Um, well, always great talking to you. And why don't you let everybody know where they can find you? Sure. You can find me at Twitter at David M. Weissman, W-E-I-S-S-M-A-N. And I write... Uh, the Times of Israel, and I, I do occasionally get on Newsweek or other outlets, but that's very rare. But um, <laughs> so yeah, my main my main outlet is Times of Israel, and you can find me on Twitter. Awesome. Well, I'm going to be linking your um, Twitter account into the Patreon description. Um, like I said, it's always great talking to you. You're an interesting person, and I know that you're good at the core. So thank you for being thank on the you. show. Well, thank you for having me, and I appreciate your words. Oh, thank you. All right, well, we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, he's such a nice guy. I I, I like talking to um, people who have kind of come around and seen the light. And I hate to say seen the light because it's like I don't want to diminish um, what somebody has or, or, or somebody's journey, like, you know, what he was before and what he is now. But the idea that he gets it and he understands how important it is to care about other people. I'm so grateful that there are people like David Weissman in the world who understand that importance. So kudos to him for, uh, you know, just for, for opening his mind. I wish more people in this country would open their minds. Um, let's see what, 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 uh, I mentioned yesterday that Steph's going to be back. And I mentioned earlier in the show, too, that Steph's going to be back next Wednesday. We're going to be talking all kinds of stuff about politics, of course. And um, don't forget to follow me on Twitter, author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y, extra E. Uh, and then also, why don't you take, we just talked about abortion. I wrote a book called Peyton's Choice, and it's about a teenager who gets pregnant and she chooses abortion. And a lot of the book is, or at least the backdrop of the book is based on um, my life. I, as I, I've mentioned, I've never had an abortion, but I did live in Torrance, California, and that's where I based the book. And I had a group of friends, three girlfriends, and I kind of, I, 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 I changed names and I changed a little bit of their personalities. But 
overall, it was an experience that I had and I loved living in Torrance, California because it was like a beach town and it was just so much fun when I was a teenager. So I did kind of um, steal from my own life to write it, but I, you know, I wrote about this. It's not just about abortion. It's first, the book is about Peyton, who is kind of based on me only slightly though, because she got a um, scholarship to UCLA and I never did. But, you know, she meets this guy and it's her first real boyfriend. She falls in love and they have sex and then she winds up getting pregnant. So most of the, the first part of the book is that relationship. And I wanted to focus on how sometimes good men can say shitty things to women. And of course, women can say shitty things to good men. But in this book, I focused on how good men can say shitty things to women and how women deal with it. Sometimes they don't speak up about it. And um, so I wanted to deal with that. And it's funny because the guy, I mean, his name is Brad. I went for the obvious. But uh, <laughs> back when I was a teenager, I'll tell you a little funny story about this guy. So the guy that I based Brad on, uh, I just, in my mind, it was a physical. It was like I, I made him the physical um, version of this person that I, oh my God, I crushed on him so much. So I went to a party when I was about 15 years old and I saw this guy. I'm not going to say his last name, but his name was Tom. And I just thought Tom was it. He was, he looked like a man, right? I think he's three old, three years older than me. So he was 18 and he had facial hair and arm hair and all of that. And so, you know, he wasn't a boy and I saw him and I like lost my shit. I was like, oh my God, he's so cute. He had these like kind of, these kind of droopy, what do they call it? The, uh, I can't remember bedroom eyes. He had the bedroom eyes. He had dark hair. He was tall, dark and handsome. And I was tall. So he was tall and that appealed to me. And I saw him at a party and I remember getting his name and, and his name was Tom B. I won't say his last name, but that's how I identified him was his first and last name. Always. I just called him his, I never called him Tom. I didn't know him and I don't even know if I spoke to him that day, but I always remembered Tom B. And then that was when I was 15. So around 17, I was almost 18. I went to a party with my girlfriend and there was Tom B and I freaked out. I had been, we, (laughs) my girlfriend and I had been, um, prior to going to this party, we had been enjoying some cocktails. So I was quite loose when I met him and when I, when I've had a little bit too much alcohol, I, I become, I'm a happy drunk, but I'm very outspoken. (laughs) I went up to him and I was like, I need your phone number or whatever, you know, whatever it was. And I was so excited. And I thought, Oh my God, this is my, this is my shot because I hadn't yet had a boyfriend, a real boyfriend. My girlfriends in high school had boyfriends and I didn't. So when I saw this guy, I was like, Oh my God, here's my second chance. So I wrote his, I got his phone number and I wrote it down, I think on my hand. So I got home and then I, I, I put it in my diary and I called him the next morning. So when I called, they answered and they, it was some lumber yard and I'm thinking, oh my God, I made a fool out of myself and he just gave me some random number and I was so humiliated and that was the end of the story until Many, many years later, I'm going through my diary and um, laughing at all the stupid shit that I wrote. And I see this phone number 
and I remember, you know, there was the, uh, I, I, I hope, I, God, I hope it's called a prefix. It's the first three numbers of your phone number. And I realized that it was wrong because, you know, there's always like a, a, a general, there's like always variation of numbers in any given area. And so I thought, did I? Did I write that down wrong? So I call with the right prefix. And God, I hope that's the right way to say it. Anyway, so I call and this woman answers. And I said, hi, may I please talk with Tom B? And she's like, oh, he moved out years ago. So that was her son. He gave me the right number and I wrote it down wrong. And I'm such an idiot. And it's just so funny to me. So anyway, then years and years and years later in 2010, I look him up on, on Facebook and there he is. Uh, he certainly didn't age that well. <laughs> I mean, he's not terrible looking, but he, he was like a hot babe when he was a teenager. He was no longer a hot babe. But anyway, um, and I believe he was living in Texas and I was living in California. So there was not going to be any romance, but I, you know, I, I, I messaged him and I told him, um, that story. I said, do you remember me? And I, I think for, it took him a while to remember me, but eventually he did. And so it was kind of funny. And I think for a minute he got a little wistful and looked back and wondered what could have been. And I look back on what could have been. And I have a feeling if he were the, if he would have liked me and if we had, if we had gone out, um, especially when I was 15, I, I'll bet you anything I would have lost my virginity to him. Although I didn't lose my virginity until I was, and I hate the word virginity, but whatever. I was the first time sex and I didn't have it until I was 16 and a half. Um, so there's my tangent on that. But so I wrote this book, Peyton's Choice, and I based it um, on my experiences growing up in Torrance. And I just, I wanted to write a book for a teenager who chose abortion because I'm sick and tired of the idea that people think that they can judge you for having an abortion. And I'm really glad that I got David to look at it in a little different way. Um, I don't want to try to force something on somebody, but maybe if I can... Um, open someone's eyes. And I do want to, I never finished the story that when I talked to this man that I was telling David about this conservative man who would refer to my Facebook friends as inhumane for supporting abortion, I presented the story to him. Um, you know, it's a woman, she doesn't have any family. She lives paycheck to paycheck, blah, 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 blah. So I said, you know, what do you suggest that she, what she, what she should do? And he just had this blank stare and he couldn't say anything to me. So, Later, he's back on my Facebook page calling everybody inhumane. And I was like, fuck you, dude. I'm blocking you. So I blocked him. And what's funny is I found out he still follows me on Twitter. <laughs> and that was years ago. Anyway, okay, that's going to be it for the show today. I've blabbed long enough. Um, hopefully you enjoyed my conversation with David. And stick around uh, till next week, or I should say next week we're going to be talking with Steph. And we will see you next time. Go to Amazon.com, Kimberly Johnson. Look up my books. Maybe you want to get I Have the Virgin Diaries. I did Ain't No Sunshine Men Reveal the Pain of Heartbreak. Heartbreak. I wrote Peyton's Choice. And then I did American Woman, um, The Pole Dance, Women in Voting. So maybe buy a book or become a patron or something. <laughs> All right. That's going to be it. 